Thank you, sir. Before I begin uh, and really get into this, I, uh, Brother Wayne, I, I didn't realize, I didn't know. I was uh, trying to listen to Pastor Keith this morning, and, and uh, Dolores on the way home said, I believe that's what Pastor Keith said. It was your mama that uh, really welcomed us after uh, Eric and his family on a Wednesday night. It was a Sunday night fest. You may remember it. I asked if uh, I could sit by her, didn't know who she was, and uh, had just a, uh, such a sweet spirit, just a, a pleasant evening. And then you came over, you had been cooking out there, and she said, this is my son. And then, of course, you had to tell us that you had been here longer than anybody because you were in your mama. <laughs> she was pregnant with you. Very special. You've been through a lot, my brother. As always, it is good to be with you tonight, and uh, I pray that you weathered this hurricane that uh, passed through not that long ago now, and I pray that you came through it okay. I had been over in Perry um, the week that it hit and uh, was helping with the recovery efforts there, and then again last week, and many that I met expressed how grateful they were to God for sparing their lives, sparing their homes. Uh, even though there's devastation over there, uh, trees look like toothpicks that have been um, just snapped off. And, and don't get me wrong, those in Cedar Key and that Big Bend region over there that lost everything, uh, it's disastrous and devastating uh, and heartbreaking for them. One federal agent that I spoke with had seen many, many storms, and uh, they were loading up, and he had said very quickly that they had, um, all needs had been met for search and rescue, and he said, uh, he walked me out of this gymnasium where uh, all the feds and the state rescue folks were, and he said, you know, chaplain, the thing is about this, I've seen many storms, and it should have been a lot worse than, than what it was, and uh, for no casualties over here, uh, it was just, uh, you know, the Lord. So it was good to see churches handing out hot meals and loving on people. You know, God is good even when the storm rages, even when the storm comes our way, even when it blows everything that we have away. God is still good. And I'd like to uh, lighten up a little bit before I get so intense in this message, but I realized when I, uh, I looked at my watch, I only have three hours uh, to preach what pastor's been preaching on change is coming so <laughs> you didn't know yeah pastor eric and pastor keith locked the doors we're in for an all-nighter tonight it's been a long time since we've done an all-nighter so uh, welcome glad that you were able to be with us let me share some things that i've been uh, uh talking to to people about i don't know i've just been a little froggy about this just uh I, i've recently um talked to folks about why they play the blame game with God, and I'll get into what I mean by that. But in my line of work, I talk about spirituality, and I inquire about someone's faith in God, and quite often I hear very good reports. But there are times that I will come across someone that uh, has some very, well, disturbing responses, such as, well, chaplain, if you want to really talk about that, then I blame God for what has happened to me in my life, or why did God allow this person to do this to me? Or why does God allow bad things to happen? Or, you know, if God is so good, and it's usually if your God is so good, then why are little children starving around the world? And, you know, I have a, a quick comeback on that latter one. Uh, it's because adults in regions of the world are very greedy. That's why little children starve to death. If uh, adults would... Uh, take care of their own then there wouldn't be little children starving but uh, I begin to ask people it's something that the Lord has laid on my life over the last uh, or my heart I should say over the last few months is to uh, begin asking them why do they blame me just ask them and find out because when I'm talking to someone and I find out their faith belief system 
that uh, they believe in God, and then they will say, you know, I also believe in the devil uh, as well. So why do you blame God for uh, your circumstance? And it's interesting what some will share with you. But, folks, if you've lived long enough, uh, you're going to experience hurt and pain. Anybody over, well, I I could say 30, but uh, I'll say 50. We'll just push it. If you're over 50 in here, then you've felt pain and hurt and frustration, you name it, the list goes on. And sometimes uh, that can come even from someone that's closest to you in life. And, you know, we tend to ask, why are you allowing this to happen to me, God? Why is this coming my way? And, uh, you know, I, I like to think in, in my uh, earlier days, I used to tell God, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, uh, I'm not great, God, but I, I feel like I'm a pretty good guy. Why is this happening to me? And so, you know, it's pretty much human nature for us to do that. But I wonder how our attitudes would change if we begin to pray and ask the Lord, uh, you know, God, is this something that I've done? As Pastor said about flat tires this morning, uh, is it something that is from the enemy that's come my way? Either way, no matter what, if I've done it, then I ask your forgiveness. But I submit to you, however long this test or trial and I appreciate the context that pastor shared this morning about even the tempt of God so whatever it is God I just submit to you and we'll go through it together it's easy to say isn't it oh yes it's easy for me to stand up here and say that that young man up there whippersnapper thinks he knows everything but you know God's standard hasn't changed he's not going to uh to change his ways for any of us, but uh, he can certainly change us. My title tonight is The King is Coming. And uh, he's just sent me this way tonight to just remind us that no matter how long you've heard it preached, uh, it may be 50 plus years, uh, the king is still coming. He really is coming. And uh, it's just good and refreshing for us to be reminded that he does have a plan, he will meet it out, and we get to be a part that he is coming back for us. I like to think about certain scriptures that when I was a boy growing up, that uh, old Sunday school teacher, I went to his wife's funeral up in Jessup just recently, and uh, such, a, such a fine man of God, but he would get so excited in the Sunday school class, and I would start seeing my peers, their heads would get lower and lower because they knew what they had been doing on Friday and Saturday night. And, uh, and so uh, he would tell us, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And I, I really think about how God has kept us through the years. It's not anything that I've done. It's the spirit of the Lord that just draws us unto himself. So let's look at our passage tonight. I'm going to the book of Chronicles uh, because Pastor recently preached out of Chronicles and he told you how to pronounce either Jehoshaphat or Jehoshaphat. But I have since learned, Pastor, that the young ones today say, well, they just call him Josh. So, uh, you know, and all that, we just get along with those young preachers today. They just call him that. But uh, I figured we'd go to Chronicles and I was talking to Pastor Eric back there, and I said, you know, I could have made it simple. It could have just been 2 Samuel 6 and kept it all very simple for you. But I figured we needed some exercise. So we're going to flip all over Chronicles back and forth through this. Uh, it's just good exercise for us in our Bible study. But would you read along with me First Chronicles 15, 25 through 29? So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of units of a thousand went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing, because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the Ark, and as were the musicians and Kenaniah, who was in charge of the singing of the choirs. David also wore a linen ephod, So all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of ram's horns and trumpets and of cymbals and the playing of lyres and harps. 
As the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would use it to uh, penetrate our hearts tonight, young and older alike, Jesus, you are coming back for us, and uh, we want to be ready when you come for us. So I pray that you would uh, anoint me afresh and allow me to share what you have given me this week to share with your people. I ask this in your blessed name, Jesus, and the whole house of God can say amen and amen. So I want to set the stage here for us in this Bible study. You know, this is David's second attempt to bring the ark into the city of Jerusalem. You know, we can always get it right the second time. Isn't that what the, they say in construction? You know, you're in a hurry, you do something wrong, but you always have time to get it right the second time. Well, that's where we are with David. And instead of me just talking, allow me to read some out of 1 Chronicles 13, which tells us how he blew it the first time around. And I'm, they'll put it on the screen for you, but I'm going to read it. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you... <laughs> I love that. Yeah, sure. And if it is the will of the Lord... Yeah, let's throw him in there. Our God. Let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasturelands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. Sound a little familiar out of Judges there. You know, everyone did right in his own eyes, but it seemed right to all the people. Let's pause here for a moment because we recognize that David's motives were good. He's trying to do the right thing. He wants to bring the ark into the city of David, Jerusalem. He's got all the pomp and circumstance going on. But his methods and his means were not right. It was not a good thing. And just because something seems like a good thing does not always mean it's a God thing. And that's exactly what was taking place here. So, you know, I like to ask the questions on Sunday night from time to time to see what kind of response I get. So it's an easy one. Who did David ask? This is an interactive portion of our program. <laughs> Who did he ask? Somebody was saying something. He asked, he asked first his commanders and his officers, right? Now, who do they answer to? <laughs> the monarch, the man himself, right? So he's asking them, and then he asked Israel, the people. Now those are the most knowledgeable and righteous people. Up one year, down the next. Yeah, we're going to ask the people. Let's take a poll here. So, you know, he says, if it seems good to you, Israel, and if it is the will of the Lord our God. Now I enjoy that because how often do we throw that out there in life? Well, if if it's the Lord's will. Well, good Lord willing. You know, you say that before bedtime. Good Lord willing and the creek don't rise. You know, I, uh, I looked that up. Do you know who actually is credited for saying that? Because I want to make sure you know. Somebody heard? I hear somebody. A politician. Yeah. You remember a few weeks? Well, it wasn't even a few weeks ago. pastor was talking and he said respond. And there was an ouch. You responded the loudest on politicians. So I just wanted to make sure you, you know about that, that it was a politician that actually came up with that. Benjamin Hawkins, late 18th century, U.S. Senator from North Carolina. Not a bad guy, but still, you're quoting a politician. I want to remind somebody that even if the creek does rise, if it's the Lord's will, it is going to happen. So uh, my wife says, you always correct people with that. I just, I just like being different. That's all it is. You know, it's just a carefree saying that we say down here in the South, and uh, I like it too. I understand it. We used to say it all the time around bedtime. But, uh, you know, that's what happened to David. He got himself in a fix because he was being very carefree at that time. I'm the king. 
Do I really need to go before God? I'm his man. So, you know, a good Sunday night crowd knows the rest of the story. David didn't ask, inquire of the Lord, as they say in that day. And he used methods and means that he thought were very good to use rather than reading and praying and asking God for directions. You know, God is not stingy with his wisdom. That was in your message this morning. He, he just, he will lavish that wisdom upon us, but David didn't ask God, and it cost him dearly, and ultimately Uzzah, his life. And David thought he'd use a new cart, and a shiny new cart, you know, an oxen. I'm sure that thing was decked out, you know. And he thought he was doing the right thing, but the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be carried by the Levites with poles through the rings and on their shoulders instead. You know, my dad used to say to me, Son, let's leave those thoughts up to me. Leave, leave that thinking up to your old man here. You know, he was thinking he was doing right. We're going to look at First Chronicles 13, 9. So what happened? When they came to the threshing floor of Kedon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. It's very easy for us to think, you know, because we are human, but you're also a spiritual being. But it's very easy to think very humanistic here and say, well, I can't believe that God would do something like that to Uzzah. He's, he's doing the right thing. He, he's just trying to steady this that's about to fall. And what did he really do wrong? And no wonder David is upset. Doesn't David, he's the king, doesn't he have a right to be upset? This is going to tarnish his reputation, right? I mean, look what has happened. David and Uzzah tried to do something good. And this has happened. That's very human. That's the way we like to look at it. And Pastor talked about again this morning how it's important to look at the Scriptures in context. And so I'm going to ask you a question. How is any of this God's fault? So when you look at the Scriptures, the passage here in context, how is any of it God's fault? See, God told Moses how that ark was to be carried. And that was a, an oral tradition passed down, but also written down through the years. And David the king, he could read, he could pray, he could simply have asked God, just like many times in my life, I just went out the door instead of asking God, I just thought, well, I know how to do this. I've been ministering a long time. I can handle this one. You can get your... I will personalize it. I have gotten myself in a mess, in a fix, when I did not inquire of the Lord. Let me ask you this, and I don't see him tonight. He's probably out there, and whether he actually patrols or not anymore, but I saw him this morning, and he picked on me over there on that side. When we break the law and we are pulled over and we say, I didn't know that particular law, Officer J. Period Willis, is it wrong for Officer J. Period Willis to say to us, well, I see, Pastor, it was in your handbook, Pastor Wes, or on your test, so here's a ticket as a reminder of this law that you have broken. Now, you don't have to answer that, Pastor West, because I know that Jimmy would never give his pastors a ticket in this church. And he would not give his favorite chaplain a ticket. So, Jimmy, when you hear this on the CD, I want you to always remember that. And God will bless you, my brother. Uzzah thought he was helping God. He thought... He'd keep God from falling. That box represented the presence of God at that period of time. God's presence come down. And 
as if to say that he thought his clean hands were better than God's dirt. But his hands obviously were not clean because even Moses could only look at the backside of God. He thought he was doing something good. And why is that? Because Uzzah had been around the ark for 20 years. It was in his dad's house, Abinadab. And so I'm sure, as I've heard it said before, they ate their little cornflakes and said, there's the ark over there, and they just walked by in and out, day in and day out, kind of like people come to church. They come in and they go out, and that was good. We stand, we know when to, we sit down. We raise our hands, we clap, everybody's excited, and then we sit down. We listen to the preacher, it's time for lunch, and then we go. Day in and day out, Uzzah was around that ark. You know, God... His presence was in that house, but was the family with God. It's one thing to know of God. It's another to know Him, right, and to be known by Him. He thought he was doing something good, but he took God for granted. Can you imagine how he and the others felt getting ready for that ceremony that day? You know, I'm somebody, you know... (laughs) I'm going to be making sure that the ark is carried. We've got a new cart. Everything's ready. You know, the band will be striking. But I'll be up front. I'll be making sure that everything goes accordingly. You know, he'd been chosen by the king to carry the ark. He's now somebody. And he likely had good motives. And how's that saying go? The road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? We can never take God for granted. He thought he would steady the ark, and he touched the presence of God. He took it for granted that he could just reach out and touch God. You know, it reminds me of Samson shaking himself that last time and realizing that God had already moved on. God had left him. We don't want to take the presence of God for granted. I'll bring this out more later, but suffice it to say, God doesn't need help. God desires obedience. I'll say it again. God doesn't need help. (laughs) He just desires obedience. In fact, David's obedience would have prevented this from happening. Instead, he goes even further at this point, and he begins to question. 1 Chronicles 13, 12. (laughs) David was afraid, I'm sure he was, of God that day and asked, How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? And what he's saying there is, God, how could you allow this to happen, especially to me? God, I'm your guy. You anointed me as king. This is supposed to be a a great day, a great celebration. I'm doing this for you. So how can I ever get this right? Who could ever be good enough to do this, God? Why did you allow this to happen to me? It looks bad for me. You know, it wasn't about David being capable. It was all about simple obedience. That's all God is looking for. In our lives, every day, he's not looking for us to be a hero. He's going to work through us. He just wants us to submit and obey him. David's compromise led to disobedience and ultimately to Uzzah's death. So what does David do? He leaves that ark at a guy's house, and I love his name, Obed-Edom. That is the name that you want to give your next child. Whoever it is, raise your hand. Hallelujah. O-E. You know, you could, you could do that slang today, O-E. But Obed-Edom. You know, God blessed his socks off. One commentator said, and I guess he combed through the Scriptures to find all of this, said that Obed-Edom had eight sons blessed by God. Those eight gave him eventually 62 heirs, and they all serve God. That was part of the blessing. I haven't combed the scriptures to validate that, but I think there's plenty of time tonight for someone to start. So praise the Lord. Y'all go ahead and dig in. He inquires of the Lord is what David does. He begins to get back on track. God tells him that he's going to win the next battle with the Philistines, and it's an amazing story, and we recognize that God has David's attention now, and David is back in right relation with him, and he's taking God's instruction seriously. 
And what I find interesting is, you know, for us, how do we relate this to us? God is so forgiving. Just look all around you. That person sitting next to you, yeah, God forgave them. You know, that's why they're still with us. You know, he could have struck any of us down a long time ago. And there's some, very seriously, there's some of us that recognize. I appreciate Miss Susan talking about the rain. And I used to hear that on on Sunday nights in, in church growing up and little ladies, I'm not saying you're just some little lady, but growing up in my church, a little lady would say, and I think I've shared this before in here, you know, God gave me just enough gas to get to the the gas, you know, station, rolled in on fumes, and, you know, for some people would say, well, what is that really? If you were an older lady and God rolls that car in, I know what He's done in my life. And, And so when I look at this and how do I apply this, I am so grateful that God loves us enough and forgives us. And we look at David, and we always like to lift him up. I like, there's some others in there. I like old Josiah, you know. I think about how David's always lifted up. David, David, David. I think, you know, when we get to heaven, I'm going to walk and say, yeah, there's David over there. Y'all go talk to him. I'm going to go over here and talk to some of these other guys that really, the no names, the people that aren't even named. I'm going to go high-five them and say, it's good to see y'all. I'm glad you made it. You know, it's a good thing. But, you know, we... We just know that men are knuckleheads. We are. And God still loves us. And God sent our wives to help us out. My help. That's a brownie point. I feel that right there, long and hard right there. There's you, Dolores. Thank you. But the second time he gets it right. And that is so amazing here. I'm going to read it again if you'll put First Chronicles 15, 25. I know it's long, but... I'm making my points here tonight. So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of units of a thousand went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. So it's a loud time, folks. You know, when the presence of God moves in, there are times. He's in the whisper. But many times you'll find when God is moving, it is loud. So if you don't like it, I'm just going to tell you, it's going to be loud in heaven as well, all the things that are be going on. And so you may have to, you know, scoot over on a different hill somewhere. I don't know. Because it says in verse 26, and I want, I want to focus on this, because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the Ark. So they're doing it right this time. And as were the musicians and Kenaniah, you know, these guys are, are listed out. It's just a, a very important time. Everything is dress right dress, as we military personnel would say. Who was in charge of the singing of the choir. So there's Ginger. She's up there striking the band. David also wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts. I mean, people are just as loud as you, you, you imagine the, the greatest football game you've ever heard of or whatever sporting event. So you imagine what's going on. These people are shouting with the sounding of ram's horns and trumpets and of cymbals and the playing of lyres and harps. As the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, it's such a, a, a precious time, Michal, <laughs> daughter of Saul, and it's not to pick on this woman, but I'm just saying, watched from a window, and when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. Now, 2 Samuel 6 expands on that, and you can read more of what's going on, and that's, that's really another, another sermon. I won't get into that, but... What I will say is it's such an exciting time and everything is in order. And David and the people are being as obedient as they know to do. They're getting it right this time. And we remember Uzzah. We know that he thought he needed to help God. And I said I'd bring out more. So when we look at verse 26, it says, God had helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. So really, Uzzah thought he needed to help the Lord. But really, who is helping who? It's always God helping us. And I know that there are some people that think, well, you know, God needs us to minister. God needs nothing. He's God. He will use us to minister, but He's God. Let's, let's get that straight from the basics. Uzzah thought he needed to help God, but God is helping all of the Levites at this point in time. And it's very significant. David knew exactly that this was the way it was supposed to be and everything was in order and he's humbling himself and we know what David does he humbles himself before the Lord in such a way that he becomes undignified 
Kings are not to act like this, so to speak, but this king did. He's enraptured. He's glorifying God. He's tearing off his clothing. I'm not asking any of y'all to do any of that tonight. And wouldn't you know it, someone closest to him, Michal, and there's a, there's a history there. There's more going on with her and David in, in earlier scriptures. And if you'll know, she was with someone else at one time and then back. And, and that, uh, that's probably very painful to David at that point in time. And God takes care of that. You know, there's consequences when we're not in obedience to God, even if you're on the periphery. You know, and I want to bring out here that I believe, really, with all of this, this is a lot of intro, so to speak. But I believe what God has given me is to uh, now look at Mark chapter 11. Because when we read the gospel accounts, and it's in all four gospels, we see the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And we, I really believe God showed me this just this week. Look at the correlation, the connection. Some may even say maybe a typology, but really it's a connection here. It just shows how rich God's Word is, how the presence of the Lord is moving into Jerusalem. We've read it many times, especially at you know, Palm Sunday, but Mark 11, I'll read it. And I'll pause, interspersed. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. There's the instructions. Just like David was supposed to read the instructions, here Jesus is giving his disciples instructions before he enters into that city, before God's presence is about to move in. So there's the instructions that need to, to be followed. And we know that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. Uh, Zechariah 9, 9 he is supposed to be on that colt as a king about to enter the city. It's going to get good here in just a minute. Verse 4, it's all good anyway. Uh, they went and found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. There's the obedience that Christ is asking of them. Just simply go and do. If someone says, answer them this way. You know, David obeyed the second time. He got the instructions. He is obedient. And so here's this moving from Old Testament and New Testament. You know, when God's in it, it's not only a good thing, it's a God thing. Verse 7, When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. So the people are humbled before the king. They recognize who is coming. They're spreading their cloaks. Now think with me on this. They're, they're trying to show their highest respect. They recognize the Messiah is here. So it's as if Pastor and I and whoever else got a coat... They're taking their coats off. They don't have a wardrobe like we do where you just go and pick something out. They probably only have a couple of things. And so you imagine taking that cloak back home for mending or cleaning to grandma or whatever, and she says, what have you been doing? It's full of mud or there's a, there is, did a donkey walk over. What have you been doing, wrestling? And he's like, let me tell you what happened today. It's a very exciting time, and they're trying their best to show the reverence unto the Messiah. Verse 9, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is a, a cry of hope saying, God save or please save rescue us so they're calling out to this messiah and jesus did come to save them 
He just didn't do it the way that they thought. And there it is again, the human nature. We think we can figure this out, but this plan is going to come to pass whether we understand it or not. And just like with any crowd, I'm sure there were plenty of those on the periphery that just simply got excited for excitement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is this coming? Yeah, yeah. And just clapping and they're excited, but they're really half-hearted coming in and going out, going in and coming in and going out, I should say, back and forth and into the city, and then this is a, some ceremony that's taking place, and this is loud. Maybe they heard it. Maybe they got the flyer. Maybe it was announced from the pulpit. Whatever it was. So they're just, yeah, yeah, now I hope I can find my car and all this because i got to get out of here. I mean, think about how we... And our human nature is. There are some that are on the periphery that will come to the house of God and go out because, you know, i got to be somewhere. This is good stuff. You know, pastor calls us down to the altars, but, you know, i got to go, you know. So it's big whoopee, hoorah, go Jesus, but I've got to be somewhere. And sadly, some of the same ones that were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, on Sunday were crying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, by Friday. Don't think that it wasn't going on, but that is how easily a crowd can be whipped into a frenzy. So I just have come this way tonight to say that some will despise you even when you're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You will get hurt, you will get let down, and you will be frustrated. But keep your eyes fixed. Allow your head to be lifted up for our redemption draws nigh for the king is coming. Even in our day, pastor read about a minister and an author recently who once proclaimed and professed Christ, but now he apologizes for sin, for sin, and he's compromised his calling. Let me try to wrap all of this together for you and put a bow on it. I was excited when God gave this to me, and I, I don't want to get so excited that you miss something here, but the king, our king is coming, and in this Old Testament passage, I'm going to try to show you the connections here that God gave me. The Ark of the Covenant was a box of gold that represented God's presence on earth. The king's presence was about to enter Jerusalem. In Christ's triumphal entry, Jesus is the word that became flesh. It's not a box anymore, but he is in a coat of flesh. He's God incarnate. Jesus present as Emmanuel. God with us. The king had come. In David's day, King David recognized who the king is and what is who he actually is and what this means at this point in time. And with God's arrival into Jerusalem, he became undignified and he humbled himself and he glorified the Lord. And as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, he's recognized and he's revered by those who were asked, who is this? And they cried out, this is the Messiah. This is the King, the King of Kings. He's come. But even if humanity had not cried out and had not proclaimed him, the very rocks would do so. David's kingdom was excited in praising and worshiping God's presence. They knew God had given David victory over the Philistines. He had dominion on the earth at that point in time in their eyes. But when Jesus entered, the people cried, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us, please save us. Lord God, heaven's kingdom has now come and intersected this earthly kingdom. And Jesus has dominion now over all. They were looking for the Messiah in that day to rule and to reign. And in this day, our day, we still cry out, please save us, O God, please come and save us. But we also know that our King, the King of kings, is coming again. Not only to save us, my friend, but to rescue us from here and to take us with Him for all of eternity. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown Him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem 
him and crown him Lord of all. And as the writer penned, I see him but not now. I behold him but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. As Zechariah explained, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one. There'll be no ballots. There'll be no lists to pick from. There'll be no sides. And as Isaiah prophesied, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And then John the Revelator announces it and says it this way. Then the angel, that seventh angel, sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And as the preacher said, and that's a whole lot of evers. And after that, amen and amen. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. We know it. Let's say it together. King of kings and Lord of lords. Our king is coming. Our king is coming. He is coming no matter if you've heard it all your life. He is still on his way. The band is striking up. Everything is being put in order and in place. And this time when he enters into that city, all eyes will be focused on him. And they will know who he is. We are his subjects, but he calls us friends. Let me calm down a little bit. You know, in my younger years, I really didn't, I'd really it'd get embarrassing for me. But, you know, I'm, I'm pretty uh, confident in my walk with Christ. Not that I have arrived, my friend, but I'm just, I get excited because I remember the days that preachers preached. I don't remember all the sermons, but, man, I'm telling you, when they would go from, from all of a sudden just speaking in this low tone and, and reading, and then the anointing would come on them. That's what it is, young people. I can't contain it. The rocks will cry out if you try to stop it up and stuff it down. I'm here to tell you, I shout at ball games and anything else and hoopla and all of that. How come we don't just proclaim the name of Jesus and lift his name high in his house? Even on a Sunday night, even after you ate the ham and you're so full and stuffed. Let me calm down. My wife will come. Let me share this story with you. (laughs) it's a good one it's very meaningful to me my wife and I were over in Italy years ago and we were ministering there for a few years and I decided we uh, we needed to go to London because we needed a break and I wanted to take her and you know airlines were cheap in those days and and uh, you fly Ryanair up to London and and uh, just really just a good time and we had taken a walking tour and we're walking all over London and and uh, we had stopped at what is called the Horse Guard. And if you've seen all the pomp and circumstance, you know what I'm talking about. They're dressed in their regalia and they're riding those horses for the queen. And so we're standing there and there's, I don't know, 15 or so of us in our tour. And he said, you know, just uh, go ahead and eat whatever you have. And so we're, we're just eating. And all of a sudden I look over about where that door is right there. I look over and there is the motorcade. It consists of one motorcycle that it looked like a like a 250, yeah, nothing fancy, in front, her car, and then a motorcycle that matched in the back. It didn't have limousines and security guards and all of that. I'm telling you, that's all it was. And the queen, she just, well, I'll do it from this angle. She just looked over and looked out, and she looked at us. And I said, well, look at there. There's the queen. You know, it was just that, that way, and... And, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't get my camera up fast enough because I had, you know, food in my hands. And I'm like, look at, look at there. I think Dolores was sitting down or something. I said, there's the queen. Our, our guide lost it. He just lost the queen, the queen, you know, in that British accent. It was really neat. Later that evening, Dolores and I were in a coffee shop there. And, and uh, this neighbor, so to speak, was sitting there working on his computer and and I asked him a question, and he was just sitting right beside us. And I mentioned what had happened. He said, man, you, you saw the queen today. I said, yeah, I saw the queen. And he said, you know, I've lived my entire life. Just like the, the guide, he said, I've never seen the queen. 
you know, it'd be kind of like us. <laughs> None of us want to see ours. But, but anyway, but anyway, I'll try to stay on point. Uh, you know, he said, you're in my city, you know, just a short period of time, and you've seen the queen. And I said, yeah, I, you know, I guess, wow, that's a bigger deal than what I thought. I figured, you know, the palace is right there. She's coming out all the time. All you got to do is stand there. But, you know, as we flew back home and I was preparing the rest of that week for my message and, and, uh, and God just laid it on my heart. And he said, Melvin, and I think you know where I'm going. He said, uh, just like you weren't prepared to see the queen, she came all of a sudden and your hands were full and you couldn't snap that photograph. He said, the king is coming. And many will not be prepared. You know, that really ministered to me, and it, it meant a lot to the small group that we had, about 75 of us. The king is coming. And now those military personnel, they're scattered all over the world, and we hear from them from time to time, Dolores and I do. Very excited. Many of them have families and have grown, and some are now in ministry, and it just tickles me. Some that had nothing to do, wanted, wanted, wanted to make sure I don't believe in this baptism. Now they're full of the Holy Ghost and just, you know, serving God in amazing ways. It just tickles me. You know, folks, uh, he's worth getting excited about. When we look around and we see so many people that are hurting and they're lost and undone. They don't, they don't know him. They don't have what we have. The peace of God in our walk, when we lay our heads down at night, knowing that everything is all right between us and him, that if we exhale for the last time here, we will breathe in that aroma of heaven as some have already gone before us and they there's loud time in heaven there's only going to be that span of silence for a short period of time what is it going to be like that day when you see him face to face because hallelujah because there is going to be that enraptured moment in time when you, my friend, you may not get so excited in, in church, but you've been in your bedroom. You've been at your coffee table or your easy chair at the breakfast table. And when the tears start dripping on the Bible that you read about, and you remember how God dipped His love in your heart and He convicted you. And now that you have a relationship with Almighty God, the God of the universe and beyond said, I want you. He came to save you and me out of all of the world, billions upon billions around this world. Here we sit with the freedom, knowing who Almighty God is. What a privilege it is that we have Him and He has us. I've just come this way tonight to remind you, the King is coming. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, we love you, Jesus. It's so good to have the freedom to just, just be here with each other on a Sunday night and to brag on you, Lord, because we know where we have been and where you've brought us from to where we are now. And if there are those that need to be reminded all over again tonight, then roll back the pages of time and show them your faithfulness. And Jesus, we know that uh, you love us with an everlasting, unchanging love. We can't do anything to earn your love, can't do anything to get rid of it, and neither would we want to. 
And Jesus, I want to be ready when you come. I want all of us to be ready. I want our families ready. I want our friends ready. I want those that you intersect our lives with. I want to be able to tell them that Jesus loves them. This I know, for the Bible tells us all so. And so I pray that you would bless your people here tonight as they get ready to get out on the roads and go back home. And I ask that you would not only keep them safe, God, but remind them that they have a security in you that goes beyond the grave. That anchor is so secure that if there's any question in their mind, God, that, uh, that you love them, settle it tonight and let them know that you love them so much that you're coming back for them. And you're coming back for all of your bride. And we want to be without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. We want to be ready. We don't want anything else holding us up. And we're not going to be caught like a paparazzi snapping pictures. We're going to be caught up in a whirlwind, so to speak, just like Elijah. And we're going to go with you for all of eternity. So, Father, I thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross. If there's someone that doesn't know that, Lord, let them know tonight that he died for their sins. And Jesus, you shed one drop just for them in the sins of their soul to wash and to cleanse them if they would just call upon you. And God, you are a forgiving God. You know what we've done, and you still desire to reconcile us unto yourself. And so, Holy Spirit, grip that person now tonight that may be questioning, may be wondering, I... I don't know, it could be a young person, it could be an older one. Lord, remind them that you bled and died for them, and all they have to do is just call upon you and ask of you, and you will wash and cleanse them. They can know this peace and security in you. You can fill them with your spirit. God, do so. Lord, let them know that you are with them, that you're the one speaking to them. There's nobody else. It's your love that penetrates a heart that's so stony, and you're the one that makes it pliable. And, Lord, you're precious, and you know what we need when we need it. So I thank you for each one of us. I thank you that you've allowed us to hear your word tonight, and we know that, uh, again, this many years later in life, we know that you are coming, and it's closer now than ever before. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ we can all say together, Amen and Amen.